Hey, everybody, and welcome to Healthy Discourse. It's Emily here, and I am grateful and excited to welcome a new guest to our show today, Rick North. I was connected to Rick through a mutual physician friend that is part of our North Carolina Physicians for Freedom Network, and find his work very intriguing. So welcome to the show, Rick. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Emily. Happy to be here. Yes. So, Rick, before we get started, um, because, because you have a lot of expertise that we could talk about lots of different things, will you share a little bit about your background and um, kind of what brought you to our issue today, which is specific around fluoride and children? Sure. Uh, first thing I need to do is apologize for my voice. It's not usually this gravelly. Uh, and uh, it's not COVID. I can say that. It's uh, <laughs> Sniffly grandkids is what it is. Uh, oh, so. well, you sound great to me. I think we're, yeah, we're going to be fine. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, just by way of background, uh, thank you. Uh, I, I am retired now. My career was in nonprofit health organization management, and I worked uh, over 21 years with the American Cancer Society and uh, seven years with the uh, Oregon Physicians for Social Responsibility. Uh, I'm not a doctor. I have just worked with doctors and uh, dentists and scientists pretty much all my life. Um, and uh, I was living in Oregon for 26 years until we moved out here to Massachusetts uh, uh, about a year ago, just to be closer to the grandkids. But while I was in Oregon and while I was working for uh, PSR, Physicians for Social Responsibility, I got a call from a friend of mine uh, about 11 years ago. And she said, right out of the blue, would you look at the science on water fluoridation? Mm -hmm. I said, well, I can. You know, I, again, I work with doctors and, and scientists all the time, and I'm a little geeky myself. Uh, so, uh, but I said, you know, I'm pretty much in favor of it. If the CDC said it was okay and the Dental Association, um, who wants kids to have cavities, right? Or adults either. Sure. So, Fair enough. Yeah. So I started looking and uh, I was amazed and not in a good way when I started actually looking at the science. So two things stood out. One, <clears throat> uh, Fluoride, when you ingest it, we're talking about ingested, not topical like a toothpaste. But when you ingest it, it's linked to all these serious health harms. And it could be anything from people know well dental fluorosis, uh, which in its uh, more serious forms can hurt the surfaces of the teeth, but kidney disease, uh, diabetes, uh, uh, thyroid disease. And an increasing amount of information, and this is, you know, the one that we'll get to a little more depth, uh, mm -hmm. ring of IQ. And I couldn't believe it. And my, one of my main sources was this report from the National uh, Research Council from 2006. And you had um, 12 of the top scientists in North America compiling this for over three years. Uh, over a thousand studies they looked at, and this is what they were finding. And they didn't come out and say and come out against fluoridation. That was not their charge. But they did say, you know, 
you know, we're finding, you know, a lot of science here and here, here are the specific studies and we need more research on this. So, uh, I mean, there were so many red flags coming out of this, uh, I couldn't believe it. So that was one thing. And then the other, I was always under the impression that, well, everybody fluoridates, right? You know, we, <laughs> United States, you know, a lot of places. And then come to find out when I just look, and you certainly don't have to be a scientist to, to look this up, turns out that 95% of the world's population does not fluoridate. Mm -hmm. And uh, 196 countries, uh, 24 have any fluoridation at all, and only 10 for more than half their population, like the US. It is definitely one of the most widely rejected health interventions in the world. And there are a number of, like Europe, it's about 98% fluoridation free. There are a number of countries in Europe that have prohibited it, including France, Germany, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, a number of them. And uh, I just, uh, this was, uh, it was fairly easy. Uh, I mean, I didn't like what I was seeing because obviously I had believed just the opposite for most of my life. Mm -hmm. but I changed my mind uh, yeah. the only logical thing to do I was getting all this new information that I'd never seen before so right. and that had never really been reported very much at all in, in the media so mm -hmm. well that's just it right <laughs> yeah that's that's a big part of it well so, I, I have to tell I have to tell you a personal story um that I actually just remembered this morning um and, and this actually leads into a question as far as when this all got started. So I believe it must have been the late 80s or very early 90s. And I grew up in a very small town and we had a well at our house, which had great water. And our dentist was actually a, a distant relative at the time. And he was, of course, it seemed like it was all kind of new that we start fluoridating or fluoridizing, I'm not sure how you say that correctly, right, the yeah. and, and, you know, and just touting how, oh, we don't have this in our water here. And it's so important that we make sure that we're getting all this fluoride on the teeth and that kind of thing, because we're missing out because we don't have it in our water. And yeah. um, of course, like, you know, that's easy. Your dentist tells you to do it because it's so important for kids teeth and, and we just do it. And so we, you, take us back a little bit as far as when did this kind of become a thing and who was behind it? Yes, uh, that's a very often asked question. And a lot of people ask, uh, where's the money in this, you know? And exactly, well, that's my question on everything these days, so. Yeah, yeah, it is, and that's perfectly understandable. Well, you go back, we have known since the 19, really 30s and 40s, that fluoride does have properties that do lessen cavities. And uh, so there were two tests started, one in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and one in Newburgh, New York in 1945. And they were supposed to run 10 years. And they would com compare those cities with two uh, similar cities, uh, you know, demographically, one fluoridated, one not, and then compare the results. So after only five years, they said, well, there's enough evidence here right now, it's reducing cavities. So again, no studies on health effects, uh, you know, no long-term at all. And these things were not even run 10 years. Uh, 
1950, the U.S. Public Health Service endorsed fluoridation. And then immediately, within a couple of months, the American Dental Association did and the American Public Health Association did. And there, I mean, the story was written right there. And the American Medical Association jumped on board a year later. So right there, you've got the heavyweights of the American dental and medical establishment saying, hey, it's perfectly all right, even though the studies were not done. Mm -hmm. all, all these other organizations just really had not looked at this at all. Just say, well, they're the experts, so must be good, right? You know, just kind of what I thought. Um, wow, Rick, this sounds really familiar. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it does. And so mm -hmm. think, well, why did the U.S. Public Health Service do this? Well, at that point, there was a lot of evidence fluoride uh, ingested either through the water or the air, especially at that time, through, um, say, zinc, steel factories, zinc, um, uh, fertilizer factories, uh, really was polluting the air, it was killing animals, making people sick. And the fluoride industry, uh, these industries were very worried about, they were getting sued. Uh, over this pollution. I mean, they knew fluoride was very damaging. So they were very happy to kind of support anything putting fluoride in a good light. So they mm -hmm. did. And then there was one other one, the sugar industry. I think the sugar industry, why? Well, they're trying to sell a lot of soda pop, right? So, and that's got a lot of sugar in it. And even then they knew that, okay, sugar is bad for the teeth. And I thought, well, hey, look, if you drinking fluoridated water, you don't have to worry so much about, you know, the, the sugar you're getting through our soda. So these were, there were definite corporate involvement, definitely mm -hmm. at, the uh, at the beginning. But I have to say, since then, it's pretty much the, uh, for the most part, the torch has been passed to the U.S. medical establishment. And, mm -hmm. and you've got the two main players here that are pushing it are the CDC and the American Dental Association. There's also another organization, the American Fluoridation Society, which consists of a few dentists leading that. These are the ones that are pushing it more than anybody else. Tell us about um, the organization that you are, are now a part of, which in specific to this concern with IQ, that's the Fluoride Action Network. And I'm going to get to your press release. And I actually, since it's not terribly long, I might have to actually read it. So everyone has the very specific information. Will you tell us about the Fluoride Action Network first? Yeah, the Fluoride Action Network has been, I, I, don't, I don't really work for them. I, I mean, I'm a volunteer. And I volunteer for them and uh, other groups around the country that are opposing fluoridation. But Fluoride Action Network FAN is the leading organization opposing fluoridation really in the world. They're terrific. I worked with them for years. I've been around, I believe, about 17 years. Um, founded by Paul Connett, who is a scientist, a former retired university professor, uh, and his wife, Ellen Connett. And just our, uh, I'll give you the website, fluoridealert.org. Mm -hmm. Terrific website, both for the lay public to see what is going on here and for scientists, because this is the largest depository of scientific studies on fluoride uh, anywhere. And mm -hmm. you can just go punch in like IQ 
or punch in kidney or diabetes. And all these studies show, you know, very extensive on what has been going on between fluoride and these different harmful medical conditions. So mm-hmm. I can't say enough. I've worked for the Cancer Society. I've worked for Physicians for Social Responsibility. The professionals with Piet, uh, I'm sorry, with uh, FAN are the equal of any of them. And you touched on this earlier, but we're going to talk specifically in a moment about a new North Carolina study on children and um, fluoridated water on with infants. And um, but before that, will you 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 kind of highlighted the the challenges, the research that we have on the negative effects of fluoride um, mm-hmm. a few minutes ago. But would you go in a little bit deeper, specific to IQ? and to um, ADHD and neurological concerns. Absolutely, yes. And um, what we're seeing here, and this is, FAN has an excellent page on this, just the, this is called the IQ study. You just punch in IQ on their search engine. Uh, again, fluoridealert.org. Uh, 83 human studies on IQ, yes. 74 out of 83 have shown the higher the fluoride ingested, the lower the IQ. It's that extensive, this science. Mm-hmm. National Toxicology Program, in their draft report, they've been reviewing this for years now. Uh, they determined what were the highest quality uh, studies. So out of the 29 highest quality, 27, the higher the fluoride, the lower the IQ, 15 at levels either right in fluoridated water or at the level of the study coming up at the University of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. It's really, I, the science, it just borders on the overwhelming. And, you know, when people look at this and say, my God, you know, isn't this obvious that, you know, if it's showing this much, when I say substantial, I mean, typically, you know, averaging, it could be three to five IQ points. This could be very, very serious. Some kids, yeah. some kids are not affected at all. Okay, other kids are affected far more than that. It'd be up like nine or ten IQ points because we all have uh, differing genetic factors that can and either you know, protect us or leave us more uh, vulnerable to these environmental um, toxins. Well, and fascinatingly, and this was not planned, um, last week's podcast was with one of our integrated pediatricians specific to ADHD. Uh, we did talk about neurotoxins. We did not speak uh, specific to fluoride. And I'm grateful that you're highlighting this as another thing that we need to be aware of as well, because again, if we go back several decades, there was not, there were not, every other child was not diagnosed with ADHD. And we have to look at all of the things that have changed since then. And obviously, this is not something that is, um, you know, there's not a one or two contributors, there are so many. And it's just important for parents to be aware of. Um, I want to go ahead and move into this specific study, which is what which is what happened that that got uh, Rick and I connected. So this is just, um, I'm going to read a little bit from your press release and we'll, we'll dive in from there. So there is a university of North Carolina dentist who is recruiting infants from Lenoir County for an experiment exposing them to fluoride, which has been shown in dozens of studies to lower IQ, according to the fluoride action network. 
This study, named Water Best and led by dental researcher Dr. Gary Slade, would give bottled water with fluoride to infants starting at age three to six months and continuing to age four years. It is intended to test whether fluoridated water reduces cavities. The study's informed consent document that parents must sign fails to mention the risk of lowered IQ. And I'm going to stop there because we are obviously working together to um, to make more people aware of this. But there are multiple concerns that uh, that I have uh, just from from reading and understanding this study. Um, it sounds like once again we are specifically only looking at reducing cavities. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Um, without any consideration of all of these studies that you've already mentioned to us as far as the risks of lowered IQ, ADHD, and a plethora of other neurotoxicities that we know are not just possible, but likely in some children. That is correct. It is, um, I think what most people don't know, and honestly, I wasn't all that familiar with how these university studies work is that when you're doing an experiment on human beings, you have to run this study by a institutional review board. And this is a group typically, I think at UNC or about 20 of them that look at it and they, they study it for ethical um, violations and just say, you know, because one of their guiding principles is the possible benefits must outweigh the possible risks. Okay, so this institutional review board looked at this study, said, looks fine to us, and gave it the green light. And they've already started. They've already started recruiting babies to be in this study. I, I want to pause there for a moment, um, because that is one of my biggest question marks, to be honest. Um, how are we giving infants bottled fluoridated water at the age of three to six months when they are not to be drinking water? Is the suggestion that they're going to mix this with their formula? They, they can't, yes, and they, they did. But the, the only, that's, that's what it is. It's 200 kids what, who they're trying to recruit, okay? Mm -hmm. 100 what? drinking bottled water with, with bottled fluoridated water at about the level you would see <laughs> regularly fluoridated water. The other, the placebo placebo group, that's getting unfluoridated water. Yeah, that's it. Right. Okay. So I think it's important to point out where this study is taking place. And I would love to know how they are recruiting. And you might know more about that or you might not. Sometimes that can be really difficult to find out, as I've learned in recent months. Um, we are looking at Lenore County, North Carolina, which is one of the poorest counties in our state. Um, the children recruited from this community are 40% black, 11% Latino and other minorities. And it's one of the poorest regions in North Carolina, which makes me have some personal red flags go up to say, why, why did we choose Lenore County is, is on the surface, I'm guessing it's because we're saying, oh, well, these kids don't have access to dental care and they have cavities. However, I would also imagine that because of that, potentially, it will make it 
easier for them to recruit families and use perhaps not so ethical tactics to recruit parents to give them very limited informed consent, as we've already mentioned, which this is something that unfortunately we're seeing happening time and time again, as far as where are these children that we continue to experiment on being recruited from. And in some ways, using what we would call encouragement, which can also be seen as coercion, in my opinion, to enroll these children into these studies that are lining the pockets of our large institutions in our state. So that's my um, <laughs> soapbox moment. But would you disagree with any of that, that that's kind of how this often works? Well, uh, I, I, I agree with like 90% of probably what you said. I don't know that I'd go so far as coercion. Uh, I, 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 I haven't seen that. But you know, let's talk about the inducements, okay? So each family gets $480 to participate in the study. And if you're- Oh, I didn't, I wasn't even aware of the dollars. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, if you're, um, you know, on the poverty line or below it, uh, that's, that's a lot of money. They get free water for the entire length of the study, which would be about, about three and a half years. Uh, they get free dental exams. And you know that a lot of people, a lot of families don't have uh, dental care. So there are a lot of financial inducements. Now the hospital in Kinston, okay, this is, there is a connection definitely between that hospital and we're talking UNC Chapel Hill. Right. <laughs> and you're right. There are a number of counties that are a lot closer to Chapel Hill in uh, Lenore County. So you do ask the question, why are you going all the way up Lenore County? Well, this could be definitely one reason they have uh, a hospital connected with them. Now, that they may have other ones, too. But this is what's going on. And you mentioned parental consent um, or lack thereof. Uh, although, let me go back one step with this Institutional Review Board. Uh, Paul Connett, the scientist who's the founder of FAM, wrote a letter to the leaders of this um, Institutional Review Board and said, we'd like to have a conversation. Here mm -hmm. is the science. You know, he just laid it out for them. Here is the science right here. And on sp specifically IQ, and, and you mentioned ADHD, there have been like three major studies all showing uh, lower, uh, <clears throat> uh, higher rates of ADHD uh, with higher levels of fluoride. So he uh, laid this out for them, said, can we have a conversation? Didn't hear back, didn't hear back, saying, this is urgent, you've already started. And all he got mm -hmm. was pretty much like a one-line response, oh, sorry for the delay, thanks for the note, we'll review it. That's it. Not responding specifically to, can we have a conversation about this? That that email was dated April 4th, over two months ago. We're, we got nowhere with the IRB. So... Then, when you we did get a copy of the parental consent form, because you would think, uh, you know, okay, well, the parents are making the, the decisions here. Well, as it turns out, you know, the IRB should have stopped it in its tracks. You know, the, the potential risks definitely out, outweigh the potential benefits just on IQ alone. Mm -hmm. but, but the parental consent form, there is nothing in there, nothing about IQ. ADHD, 
all these other possible effects that you know that we're not even sure about but we know about in other studies whether it's you know, diabetes later on kidney disease uh, thyroid whatever nothing all it says is well you know we've got uh, you know yeah there is there is a chance you may get uh, you know uh, one of the possible risks and that's uh, I got that here it says in their parental consent form they have the, the uh, section heading is what are the possible risks or discomforts involved from being in the study and i'll read i i quote these two sentences here okay uh, quote a possible risk to your child in taking part in this research is too much fluoride intake this risk can occur if your child takes a prescription fluoride supplement so they recommend not to and then it also says it's also possible that your child might consume too much fluoride if he, she uses infant formula powder or concentrate that's mixed with study water, which contains fluoride. So they recommend against that. That's it. They say, well, okay. Yeah, you don't want to get too much fluoride, but they never say what the consequences are. Mm. So if you're a parent going into this and reading over this, you would never know. They're never being told. Right. It sounds like a, wow, this, like you said, you mentioned all those quote benefits earlier and it seems like a no brainer for a parent that has an opportunity to potentially help their child and not have cavities. And that informed consent language sounds very um, non-alarming to me. And, but we know from this plethora of other research that that is not the, the case with fluoride. And um, I, I just want to read from your press release here. Um, editors of the Journal of America, American Medical Association say the loss of IQ from fluoride is on par with lead. Other experts, including Linda Birnbaum, PhD, past NTP director, stress the need to avoid fluoride. Given the weight of evidence that fluoride is toxic to the developing brain, it is time to protect pregnant women and their children and recommend they reduce their fluoride intake, which goes obviously completely against what this researcher is, is trying to, to suggest here. And, and why I think that this topic is so important is it, it highlights and it allows us to have a specific insight to this one topic that these types of things are unfortunately happening all the time, all around us. And it seems like, as we've highlighted many times on this podcast, that true informed consent is something that has gone out the window. And those, like you talked about on um, this review board, as one example, don't seem to stop anything from happening quote, for, quote, science's sake. And I think it's something as parents, we need to be incredibly aware of, even going back to saying, well, wow, I just listened to my dentist for all these years. And sure, I put fluoride on my kid's teeth because that makes them not have cavities, right? Um, wow. Whereas I would suggest that uh, vitamin D and K2 combined is <laughs> so much better for your kid's teeth. But that's uh, from my perspective. But um, it, it this really highlights for us, Rick how these things are happening and what we need to be aware of as parents. Um, I know that you guys are, are working. We, we do have many listeners from our, from North Carolina that listen to our podcast. And I know that you are kind of looking for a, a to develop a group that will 
help to shed more light on this. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, and, and I, if I could go back one minute. Well, oh, please I mean, go back, I mean, yes. Yeah, because people are maybe thinking, well, you know, gee, if I don't lose that much IQ, I mean, this is serious business, actually, even at one point. Yes. And there's studies showing you're going to lose about eighteen dollars to $20,000 in income for every mm -hmm. forward IQ point that you have. There's been a number of economic studies on this, so even one IQ point. Wow. Our so we're talking about five IQ points. Just yeah. That, right. So you're saying that's equivalent to a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, not that we want to make IQ necessarily equivalent to money, but it's a right. way that we can actually think about it in a in a tangible way. Right. Right. And uh, so there. Uh, but to go back, you know, one one step here, because people are thinking, well, gee, but you know, I don't want my kid to get cavities, so isn't this great? Well. This is one thing else I discovered: the effectiveness, the effectiveness of fluoride. And what you'll hear from the C, uh, fluoridation, excuse me, uh, even the CDC admits that the effect, the positive effects of fluoride and cavity reduction is nearly all topical. It's not from ingestion. And even the CDC says, well, fluoridation is, you know, it's going to reduce cavities by twenty-five percent. Long ago, I learned. If you hear one statistic, make sure to ask for at least one more to put that in perspective. And mm. here's what the fluoridation promoters never say. 25% reduction, that is less than one cavity per kid, okay, per childhood. That's it. And even, you know, and there are a number of studies that aren't showing any effectiveness at all. If you compare countries that fluoridate in countries that don't, there's virtually no difference whatsoever in cavity rates for uh, uh, permanent teeth. So, you know, there isn't even that much benefit here, if any. It's minimal, if any, just from all these studies that have already been done. So, so that's, uh, that's one thing people need to know on the lack of effectiveness uh, front. So um, I, I love that you share that because I think, especially in these last two years, we have these statistics that thrown at us all the time mm -hmm. that are headlines, right? A X percent decrease in death or whatever. And when, again, we have to dig into those specific numbers. Well, what is that per million people or whatever, right? Exactly. So asking those questions beyond the headlines are so important. And that's something we always encourage our audience to. So I'm really glad you pointed that out. Exactly. And, and I should point out on the neurotoxicity front, and then I'll get to like contacting, is that uh, after one particularly strong, strong study, and just over the past four years, the science has come out, which was never there before, was that a lot of this IQ reduction is taking place um, with unborn babies in utero. That's uh, from pregnant women ingesting fluoride. And one particularly strong study was uh, published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, Pediatrics, uh, was really strong, um, funded by NIH. You know, they put it through all these hoops so they knew how controversial it was. Well, the editor of JAMA Pediatrics said, you know, after this, he said, uh, he was actually quoted in the Washington Post, and he said, um, essentially, you know, if my wife were pregnant, I would not want her drinking fluoridated water. This is a Seattle physician. So um, this, you know, there really are some very top flight scientists, physicians that are really expressing concern about this. 
Right. Well, and one, I'm sorry. I was just going to say one thing we can all take away of this is, you know, if you're, if you are living in a place like most of us are with fluoridated water, then it might be a good idea to make sure that you're getting that fluoride out of the water before you're ingesting it. And of course, there's lots of different ways to do that. And interestingly, again, uh, from a socioeconomic standpoint, I think about the people that are able to do that, that have house filtration systems or the Berkey sitting around or like we do, we have our water delivered that we know is free from all of this. And, you know, that takes number one, a level of awareness and number two, additional resources outside of our city water system in order to accomplish that. So we talk about equity and healthcare so often, but when we dig into things like this, what we realize is that the powers that be, the experiments on our children, experiments on our general population often don't reflect that equity that we like to preach. So just wanted to point that out too. (laughs) Yeah, this is a social justice issue, uh, economic justice, absolutely. Because you mentioned, yeah, definitely recommend if you got fluoridated water, um, you know, I mean, reverse osmosis is probably probably the best system, but a lot of people, you know, I mean, that's, that's fairly extensive. Uh, Getting distilled water, buying it from another source like you do. Uh, there are a couple of countertops that are pretty good for reducing fluoride, but uh, but most do not. So you have to really research that. Great but, to know. But, but just think if you're a low income family, you can't afford three hundred or four hundred dollars. It might as well be three thousand or four thousand. Mm-hmm. Even the cheapest uh, system to do this, uh, you can't do it you're stuck and uh, you have no choice. And this is just ethically wrong uh, to do this. So, yeah, so I would, uh, I would really say, you know, first uh, I, this is called, this study is called Water Best, okay? Water Best, that's, oh, and they're, they're promoting this. They've gotten into groups in Kinston I believe the, um, they joined the Chamber of Commerce there. They're working with a hospital there. So it's like a full court press to recruit kids, uh, babies, infants to participate in this. Mm-hmm. So we uh, want people to be aware of this and of the risks that they're not telling you about. So they call this water best. Well, we've got a website now called fluoridewurst.com. <laughs> <laughs> Fluoridewurst.com, you know, not not the uh, German hot dog, but W-O-R-S-T. And this links to the Fluoride Action Network's website, and we definitely are looking for people that can can help us out in, in spreading the word on this. We just want people to get both sides of the story, which they are definitely not getting now. Right. And that's uh, why I'm so appreciative that uh, you have uh, allowed me to come on this uh, on this podcast. Well, I really, really appreciate your time and and your efforts on this, and uh, you're you're sounding the alarm. And unfortunately, that's something that we are having to do more and more frequently these days. And um, I think that um, while it's really important to share about this specific study and understand all of these intricacies, underminings, and where the dollars are going and coming from, 
it's something that's important for all parents to understand because most of us do have fluoride in our water. And even if we know it's not great, I think most of us, myself included, until you reached out, I didn't, I wasn't aware of all of these neurotoxicity problems um, that you've highlighted for us today. So on behalf of all of the parents, I would like to say thank you and um, just keep on doing what you're doing, Rick. And we want to continue supporting your efforts and, and, um, and, making sure people are aware of the, of what's going on. And you've done a good job breaking that down today. So thank you again for your time. And I hope to connect with you again soon. Thank you, Emily. I really appreciate it.